I'm going to speak from one of my favourite passages this morning. There's so many favourite passages I've got, however. (laughs) You'll hear me say that more than once, I know. I'm going to read to you just two verses from Romans 12. Entitled in the Bible I'm using, which is the English Standard Version, A Living Sacrifice. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. We want to thank you that you have given this to us so that we might consider your ways and your purposes for living. And we ask, Lord, that as we share in it for a few moments this morning, that you will speak to us, Lord, that you will give us something that we can take away from today and just chew on over the week ahead. Lord, let it not be dead, but let it be living and active in our lives. And Father God, I want to pray, Lord, that any of the notes I've got which are superfluous, oh Lord, I pray that I'll miss them. And the stuff that you want to communicate, Father God, that you will impress on us today. For Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Forgive me for sitting so close this morning. But if I sit any further back, the sun's in my eyes and I can't even read what's on the page, let alone anything else. You might, approve, you might prefer that because I might be shorter than I normally am. How many of you, just out of interest, have a Facebook account? I'm just interested. Put your hands up so I can see. Right. There's something about Facebook which I find quite interesting. It's very rare that I see anybody isn't living their best life. In fact, I hate that phrase, to be honest. Are you living your best life? But when people present themselves on Facebook, more often than not, they concentrate very much on the moment. And they want everybody to think that it's all together, really. And yet, very often despite the fact that you might have a thousand friends or more on Facebook, your face-to-face contact with other people, your actual intimate relationship in terms of sharing life, being able to one another each other is sadly lacking. But God is not into us living our best life, pretending that everything is rosy and everything's going swimmingly and so everybody thinks, oh, what a wonderful time they are having. God, however, is in the business of transformation. 
And this passage, these two verses that we've read this morning are all about transformation. We are in the transformation business. I don't care where you come from this morning or what your problems are, God is in the business of transformation. You may have tried everything you can think of in order to deal with your issues and you might feel that those issues, despite all your efforts, self-control, willpower, all those things that you have tried just have constantly failed. And yet God, in his grace and in his mercy, when we come to him, he is in the business of transformation. There was a phrase that says something like this, come as you are, meaning you can come to God any way you are. But then it goes on and says, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Just think about those words for a minute. He loves you too much to leave you that way. So you can come broken, you can come battered, you can come bruised, you can come defeated. But the reality is he loves you too much and doesn't want to leave you that way. He wants transformation for you. You can have been through divorce. You could have just been through illness. You could have financial anxiety. You could just be totally depressed. You could be addicted. But God loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to be involved in your life and transform it. So we're in the business of transformation. He wants to see individual lives transformed, which in turns affects families. You see, nobody in real terms is just an individual. Your life rubs up against others and affects other people. So as God begins to transform your life, it begins to overspill and transform your, your family's life, your wider relationships life. It can affect whole communities, whether that's an office where you work, a school where you go, a factory where you work, health care facilities or even church. Transformation in you can begin to rub off and affect other people around you. And as God begins to do that and begins to break out, it moves from just individuals and small communities and it becomes something that can overtake towns and cities and of course eventually regions and then nations and God willing the world. That's the whole idea of Acts 1.8 where he, Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The reality is God's transformation business is not just for an individual, it is for communities. It's to go wider and bigger, more than we could ever hope for or think about. And that's the whole reason Jesus came. He has a plan, the biblical phrase, a plan of redemption, how to change us from being at enmity, an enemy of God, to being family. 
a child of God. From being someone who has been wild maybe and has had a breakdown of family relationship with God to being embraced and the picture I shared at communion of the prodigal son returning from a pig pen in a Jewish culture was something that you would consider to be horrendous. That prodigal son was unclean and yet as he approaches the father who is a picture of our heavenly father runs picks up his long robe and he runs to meet him and throws his arms around his neck and weeps over his son who was dead who was separated from him but is now restored to him as his son or as his child And that is the business that God's into. That's the reason Jesus came. And that's the reason Jesus said to his disciples on leaving, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." He didn't ask us to make churchgoers, bums on seats. He didn't ask us to even make believers because even the devil believes. He asked us to make disciples. That scripture refers to, and it's a a phrase that was used originally as a derogatory term, people of the way people of the way the Jesus way and that has always been ever since the call on our lives once we surrender to him is to be people of the way who live out what we say we believe in front of others and to speak about Jesus and to try and lead people to find Jesus and know Jesus and then to be with him. When I was growing up, this will age me, there were television programs I was not allowed to watch. But there were a few that were okay, you know, Z-Cars, for those of you who remember Z-Cars. And the other one was Mission Impossible. Do you remember that program? A bunch of spies who were experts in their own field who every week fought against evil and overcame different things, you know. And it would always start, there'd be some form of phone call or radio message which would say, this is your mission if you're prepared to accept it. (laughs) And I want to say to you this morning, there is a mission for us if we're prepared to accept it. You see, a lot of church time is spent trying to... you know, get churchgoers. A lot of time is to try and persuade people what they should believe. And it's not that I don't think coming to church isn't important because you cannot be a follower of Jesus on your own. Some people might even go as far as say, well, I shouldn't be a, a believer of Jesus on my own. It shouldn't be shouldn't. It is you can't be a follower of Jesus on your own. We need one another And we need Jesus. And here in our passage, Paul, having built up over 11 chapters, 
how we travel away from God, how we suit ourselves, how we're all sinners. He comes to this moment and he is shifting his focus. He is being quite clear there is something glorious about the gospel. It accepts people, everybody, regardless of who they are, where they are. If they will come to him and if they believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and they're willing to confess that Jesus will be their Lord and Master, then they will be saved. They will start a process of wholeness in their life which will continue for the remainder of their days all the way through their life to the point that either Christ returns or they die and they go and be with Jesus. And until the point that we are continually in the presence of Jesus, we will be on a pathway of transformation. He's already said just a few chapters earlier that Jesus came that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's the process. It's the molding. It's the clay in me being shaped by the hands of God. He, his goal is to shape and fashion in me the character of his son Jesus. And that's what he wants. And therefore, Paul begins this chapter having gone through all those things. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. I love sung worship. But worship isn't confined to an hour on a Sunday morning. And maybe a few hours in the week if we have time to put it aside for God where we might read the Bible and we might pray. 24-7 is the call of Jesus to follow him. And if I read Paul correctly, and I think I do, that we're supposed to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so our 24-7 life becomes worship to Jesus. 24-7, 365 days a year and 366 on a leap year like this year. And that's the call. This week I was on Waverley Abbey's website and they are reposturing themselves. They recognise that there are real challenges for the church and for Christians in this world in which we live. Are you aware that for the first time in history, for, uh, since Christianity came to these shores, that those who identify as being Christian has fallen below 50% of the populace? That shows a downward trend. How low will it go? I do believe that that's down to us. And whether we're prepared to accept the mission of living lives of worship before God. But Dave Weeson, <coughs> who is the CEO, <coughs> said these words. As we look at the church and the world today, there is a need for a new generation of Christians to be filled with the Spirit, take hold of everything for which Jesus has taken hold of them, to be transformed and to go out and transform the world. And so the thing that Paul says here is, do not be conformed to the world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When Paul says the words, I appeal to you, there are things which he has in mind. He is not just saying to us, oh, if you like, if you want to, it's all right by me, you choose, you do what you like. He is actually making a real appeal. He is exhorting, he is imploring the people to whom he is writing, look, Offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. Don't hold anything back because in doing so, you will, you will still miss the mark. I appeal to you. He is appealing from a depth in his heart and his soul that he wants everyone. He doesn't want them to get caught up in racial division or, or division over gender. He's not wanting those things. He wants people to come together and to offer themselves as individuals to God. And as they offer themselves as an individual to God, which is their acceptable spiritual worship he says that I'm not asking I'm you must do this it's important it's that important Paul has already unpacked what it means to miss the mark and missing the mark which is sin is all about not hitting the bullseye it's like an archery term which means there's the center even of the bullseye and it's, you might even hit the yellow or the gold, as they say, but it might not be the center of the bullseye. You've missed the mark. And I want to tell you, it, it doesn't matter whether you miss by a millimeter or a mile, you've missed. It doesn't matter. And he is imploring people, basically, as he did throughout anything you read from Paul, he is encouraging them, exhorting them, imploring them to follow Jesus with all their life, to become people of the way. Even though it was a derogatory term used initially for Christians, it became a mark that set them apart as a person whose life was truly surrendered to God. I appeal to you. Paul is also aware that we are not formed our lives. It's not that you get born and we sometimes might think we grow up and we get to a certain age and then we make decisions about our life, about who we will become, what we will do and all the rest of it. But I want to tell you that from the moment you are born, your life is starting to be shaped and formed into who you have become. Even while you are there feeding in your mother's arms, you are being formed and fashioned into the person you are. We don't get born into a vacuum. We grow up with stories. And I'm not talking necessarily even about just nice little stories. I'm talking about stories about what we understand about the world, how it works. We all go to school. We're told by our schools that, um, in fact, creation is not really on the syllabus at all as, a, as an option. It's all about evolution and explosions and the Big Bang and whatever else it is. But the reality for me is that from that moment in school, we are being fashioned. Our friends around us at school in that very impressionable age 
we start to fit in and we know what's acceptable. If I want to be in with this crowd, then I've got to be like this. And if I want to fit in with that crowd, I'll be like that. And we begin to take on the story which is put around us. We develop habits of life which then overspill and begin to take our life in directions as we move forward. I mean, I'm no big in terms of we're all sinners. I think that if you're a sinner, you're on equal ground, all right? But really, I was no, not a big shake sinner like, you know? I, I, I wasn't out there on the very edge. I read Run Baby Run as a, child, as a uh, teenager and was disappointed that I made a commitment to Christ because I hadn't been bad enough to get saved, you know? I mean, stupid thoughts, isn't it? But um, So what I did was, for a while, I became even worse than I was before because I thought, now I need to be a bit badder, yeah? You know, I wasn't that bad, you know? And it might sound silly to you, but then you, you begin to develop habits and you begin to live by those habits and eventually those habits control you. And once those habits have got hold of you, we all know how hard it is to break. I have an overeating habit. And I've had it most of my life. And I find it extremely hard to break. I start a diet on Monday by Tuesday. If I'm still going, I might have broken it. The only time I ever lost weight in my life was when I started to realize just because I had failed one day, I didn't mean that I had to be a failure for the, forever. But I still wrestle with that. I learned to overeat. I learned to comfort eat. When I was feeling low, I would eat. What is it you turn to? I hope that most of us at some point will turn to God in those moments. But the truth is we have habits. We have relationships which shape us. And from the beginning of our life, that happens. And then Paul's words, don't be conformed to this world. It's quite interesting that the two words, conformed and transformed, are both in the same tense. All right? I'm not an English scholar. I didn't do O-level English, so I did CSE English, and I don't even remember really being taught about tenses in CSE English, to be honest. Maybe I was, but I don't ever remember it. But it is in the present tense, passive. Both those words are present tense and passive. Present tense means it is happening now. Even as you are here this morning, you are being formed. As you interact with one another, before and after the meeting, you are being formed. It's passive. It is happening to you. It is imperceptible. That's the passive bit for me. We don't, we're not always aware that we are being formed. Sometimes we feel we're being coerced. Sometimes we might even be feel we're being manipulated. And that's very clear. But most of the time we carry on oblivious to what's going on around our lives. In scripture it says bad company corrupts good morals. And you might, we might think, well, does that mean we've got to become and only hang out with the good people, right? 
That's not what it means. It means we need to become aware that the company we keep has an effect on our life. And so it's present tense, it's happening now, it's passive. For me, that in the context here is imperceptible. And it doesn't matter whether you are being conformed to the pattern of this world. So there's a pressure from the world for you to be conformed to its patterns, its habits, its stories. And also, if God is going to transform us, it is present tense, it's now. And sometimes we're not even aware that it is happening. But I want to tell you, we can assist it. We can assist our spiritual formation. We can assist by our posture of our life. Making a conscious decision not to allow the world to press us into its mold. I want to find, I've got a a version by J.B. Phillips of these two verses. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. It meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of what is true maturity. Do not be conformed, squeezed. And I want to tell you, I looked up this morning, I just found myself sat there this morning wondering how many, how many messages we might receive in a day which would have an effect on our life. And so I typed into Google, as you do, you know, you know, how many messages does someone in the UK receive each day, whether they know it or not? And I was amazed. Six to 10,000 different messages a day we can receive. Some we will be aware of, some we're totally unaware of. It blew my mind. If you've got the radio on, there is constant a message going. The TV's on, you've got stuff just rolling over you because it's, you're passive about it so often. We are passive about it. There's these messages of being sown into our life, what's acceptable. The portrayal of certain things on television. I'll just use Christians as an example. Most of the time on television, Christians are portrayed as dot cotton off EastEnders. A self-righteous individual who's only too pleased to criticize everybody else. Has a nice side to her because she does want to help people out. But behind the scenes is pretty critical. And there are loads of those type of messages that come again and again and again and again on TV. Whenever a, a, a Christian is portrayed and eventually guess what we actually without even realizing it take on board unless you are a Christian you take on board that persona to them to whoever's watching oh Christians 
And they don't go Christian.cotton, you're horrible. They just go, Christian, oh, you're just a do-gooder, you know, a bigot. No, we're not. I'm not saying they can't be Christian bigots, but the reality for me is not everybody who professes to be a follower of Jesus has that as, a, as an attitude. Don't be conformed to what the world says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, you might be a person sat here this morning, and I'm going to bring this to a close, but you might be a person sat here this morning and going, oh, do you know what? I could never be a Christian. I'm just too bad. Well, I've got good news for you. If that's you this morning, I want to tell you this. That's the reason Jesus came. You're the very person Jesus is looking for. You're the person he wants to encounter. You're the person he wants to come into your life and make a difference so that you can be transformed. Your life can be turned around and that you can walk in a different direction and have a different outcome in your life. That is not a barrier to you being a Christian you're the reason Jesus came and his Paul's suggestion is first and foremost we need to present ourselves our bodies to God as a living sacrifice a living sacrifice that means we abandon our own self, our own way. And we say to God, God, I'm going to commit myself to following your ways and follow you. What you say I will do, where you go I will go. What you tell me not to do I won't do. Now I've got news for you. You might think that sounds absolutely wonderful and you decide to say to God today, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in for that. And then before you get home today, you lose your rag with somebody. You do something you know isn't walking after Jesus and you think, well, this is a failure. No, it's not. Because you've just spent so much of your life getting to the person you are. One of the lies is this idea, this instantaneous momentary change in a blink of an eye. I'm not saying again that doesn't happen to some people. But that is not my experience and I would guarantee is not the experience of many people in this room today. My experience is I change day to day, week to week. Some weeks I finish worse than the week before and some weeks I finished better than the week before but overall if I look back over my life I am making ground it took a lifetime to get you to where you are it will take the rest of your life to try and sort it out and the and large part of it will be sorted out when you meet Jesus and so just because we struggle and we stumble and we fall does not mean it's rubbish. It just means, like when I'm dieting, if I have a, what I call a munchy day, the following day I just get right back on the diet and I continue where I left off. 
Now, that doesn't mean I pre-plan munchy days. I just sometimes, you know, have them. I want you to imagine for a moment that all of us, and I'm going to pray when I've said this, that all of us become a community of disciples in pursuit of Jesus and God's kingdom, who in turn become a vibrant community of prayer, a place of transformation through the culture that is released amongst us, a place where people's lives are being healed and healed, restored and renewed, a place of learning and equipping that enables people to face life head on and not cower back from it, but to stand strong in their faith and within their space in society. And a people who will significantly change the world. Or at least the world in which you live. Because we're willing to surrender to God and his ways. That is a place that I want to be. That is a people I want to walk with. A people who are that committed to pursuing Jesus and God's kingdom that we become a well of life. A well of life. There is good news in this passage but we'll deal with the extra good news next week. Transformation is about spiritual formation once you surrender to God. Here's the short good news. Paul says transformation is possible. Paul says there is a way for this to take place in our lives. And he also, through the remainder of this book, tells us how we might do it. And next week we will pick up on that. So let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I want to thank you that you have the power to transform our lives as we come and we will acknowledge who you are. That we will confess that you are our Lord and that we believe in our heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. Father, I want to thank you that your word can be living and active in our lives and transformational. Lord, I want to pray that in this week, as we just think about that, that we'll come to a place where we say, do you know what? I've tried a lot of things to change this area of my life and it hasn't worked. So Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm presenting myself to you as a living sacrifice. I'm giving you the entirety of me to you. I'm not just going to give you this bit or that bit. I'm going to give you it all. And as we lay our lives before you and we say that, Lord, I want to ask that you will honour your word. And that you will begin to transform us from the inside out as you change our thinking, our attitudes, our desires, our relationships. You heal our hurts and our pains 
and our sorrows, as you take away our anxieties, as we learn to set ourselves to become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our spiritual, rational act of worship. Help us this week, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Next week I'm going to talk on spiritual formation. Um, And therefore, um, it is to do with the stuff that follows, but... And I will just use the same verses again, but I want to take you through what spiritual formation is and how you can partner with God and the Holy Spirit in order for God to begin that process in you. Because sometimes we come through the door, we might even pray in the way that I've said, but that's as far as it goes. We don't engage any further. It's like we've, we've made it. Now we're into heaven if we're, if we're in. But God doesn't want us just to be in. He wants us to have our best life. He wants you to, to experience, no matter what's going on around you, your best life. That's why Paul could be in prison and having been beaten and sing hymns of praise and glory to God. He still lived his best life, even in moments which seemed horrendous. But that takes a lifetime of spiritual formation, so we'll deal with that next week.